Presence Live. That which is beautiful will manifest itself in truth and in goodness. Local. The challenges that we're facing in our generation, we just need the gospel. I mean, every every culture, every generation just needs to know how the gospel applies. Engaging. We don't bring any life at all to the church. The church is, is the life. It gives us the life. Live. The reality is, He is all things beautiful, capital B. And so anything that is authentically beautiful draws us, even if we don't realize it, to God. Good morning. This is Father Brian Christensen. I'm here with Karen Gibis for Real Presence Live. We're broadcasting from high atop the Cathedral of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. <laughs> Here in the Black Hills of South Dakota, and it's a sunny day here in Rapid City. It's always a sunny day when you broadcast. Yeah, how are you doing, Karen? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am doing great. I was uh, I was on retreat last week with the priests of the Diocese of Rapid City. And nice. The week before that, I was in Rome on pilgrimage, so it's just been a beautiful uh, September and October. Around. Yeah, and today we celebrate the feast day of St. Pope John Paul II. What a great day that is, and we'll have uh, some guests later in our show to visit about that. Um, but what do you think about starting in prayer this morning? I think you better. All right, let's pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Loving God and Father, we thank you for every grace and blessing that you pour out upon us. We thank you for the gift uh, of our church's shepherds, those who um, guide us and lead us and care for us um, with the heart of your Son, Jesus Christ. Especially as today, we honor and ask for the intercession of the Saint John Paul II, um, who shepherded his church so beautifully in his years as uh, bishop and as bishop of Rome. Uh, may his intercession and his example inspire us and guide us today to live the fullness of life without fear um, in your name. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and guide us today as we seek to serve you, give glory to your name, and bring salvation to souls. We ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's jump right into the show this I morning. Can't wait. We I'm have so a great excited. show today for all of our listeners uh, out there in Real Presence Radio lands. Um, we have the newly appointed, um, but not yet installed, Bishop of Crookston in Minnesota. Good morning, Bishop Cousins. Good morning, Father Brian. It's great to be on the show with you. Yeah, thanks for joining us this morning. You've had quite a week or so, uh, I'm guessing, of uh, of news, activity, prayer, and uh, new beginnings. Yes. Yeah, life, so, life's changed a lot in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just uh, for our a lot of uh, our audience will know you um, from your time uh, in uh, the Twin Cities and as Auxiliary Bishop uh, of uh, the Archdiocese. Um, but why don't you share a little bit uh, first about just these last couple of weeks, what, what's, what's been going on? Yeah, so uh, I've been serving as an Auxiliary Bishop in the Twin Cities for going on eight years here. And uh, um, as most people know, we've had four open dioceses in Minnesota. And so when you're an auxiliary bishop and there's open dioceses around you, everyone thinks you're going to go to one of them. <laughs> and so uh, that gets mentioned to me pretty much every day over the past year. You know, oh, I wonder if you're going to go to such and such, or maybe you'll go to such and such. But uh, the question was finally answered for me on Monday, October 4th. I was um, actually teaching some courses that morning on the Evangelical Councils, the Vows of Providential Obedience for the Handmaids of the Heart of Jesus, this religious community in the Minnesota here that I'm close to. And uh, my cell phone rang, and I saw it was a Washington, D.C. number. But I thought I had the papal nuncio's cell phone in my cell phone, so I didn't think it was him. And uh, so I just let it go because I was teaching. And, and uh, But that 
same number called back four times before noon. So when I had a little break at noon, I decided I would call that person back. And then it turned out it was the papal nuncio, and I did not have his cell phone in my my phone. And so, um, and he told me immediately that the Holy Father had named me as a bishop of Crookston. And so, uh, uh, and then he said that um, once I accepted that, you know, which I was immediately accepted the thought of saying no never occurred to me um but uh he uh he then uh said he would notify my archbishop and also the the administrator of the diocese and so that we could begin planning when would be the announcement and when would be the installation so the announcement was monday the 18th the feast of saint luke and the installation will be december 6th the feast of saint nicholas a great bishop Yep. Beautiful. And the phone call came in on uh, on the Feast of St. Francis, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah exactly. And yep. you were teaching yeah. about the Evangelical Councils. Huh. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Surprising. I was. Huh? Yeah. Yep. No, Specifically no, obedience. I was teaching about obedience. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's very interesting. I mean, because uh, some people, you know, as, as we hear the stories of different men being called and a by the papal nuncio and receiving that word that the holy father has appointed them um people wonder like do you can you say no can you say no the, uh, so yeah I, I that people have asked me that and people said oh thank you for saying yes you know um, but uh the uh you know i i guess you would say you could say no if you had a reason to say no in other words there might maybe your health is bad you just had a heart attack and the papal nuncio doesn't know everything Right, so there might be right. an important factor that you would need to let the papal nuncio know about that would make it impossible for you to say yes. But I always put the question back, like, well, when Jesus was there with Peter at the side of the sort of Sea of Galilee, and Jesus said, come follow me, can Peter say no? Well, I suppose he can, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, it's certainly not God's path for his life, you know, and, and uh, we never know where God's path is going to lead, but for me now, it leads to Crookston. No, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Um, and what what happens now between now and December sixth? You know, uh, for our listeners, what what what's happening in Crookston? Uh, what's happening in your own life as you you know transition from yeah. your responsibilities there in the Twin Cities, which I'm sure are, are are numerous and great, and the Archbishop relies on you, and now moving to be the shepherd of your own diocese in Crookston. Yeah, no, it's it's actually kind of a crazy time because it's a mix of emotions, right? There's both the excitement and the desire, like, I want to get to know all the people in Crookston, and I want to get to know um, the priests who will be my closest collaborators and the, and the staff and um, and all of the, the whole situation. But um, So there's that excitement of something new, but then there's also the sadness of leaving my home. You know, the Archdiocese has been my home for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Since I started, started as a net missionary here 30 years ago, and um, and uh, you know I've been serving as a priest for almost 25 years in the archdiocese and a bishop for eight. So I just have so many friends, and my family is here, and uh, so there's a lot of goodbyes and uh, great events that need to happen, and those are all being planned right now. And then you're right, the handing off of all my duties. So who's going to take over for what I have done? What I one thing we all learn in the church is none of us is irreplaceable. And so <laughs> God, God, God has his plans. God, yep. God takes care of the church. And so um, I'm sure they will find ways to, to pick up the duties. But right now it's a lot of goodbyes and, uh, and gratitude. 
Sure, sure. No, that's very exciting. And like you said, mixed emotions, I can only imagine. Um, you mentioned kind of your arrival in the Twin Cities as a net missionary. Um, you didn't grow up in the Twin Cities. Could you give us a little background on your um, kind of call to a deeper relationship with Christ and, and your call, your vocation to the priesthood in the beginning? Yeah, so I grew up in a really good Catholic family in Denver, Colorado. And, um, you know, I was close to my parish priest growing up, and so even as, like, around my first communion age, I started to have a desire for priesthood. And that was, I have to say, always in the back of my head that God might be calling me to be a priest. And it was the sort of thing that was encouraged in my family, although certainly in no way coerced, you know. But just right. it was held, held up in my family as a great thing if someone would choose a religious vocation. And... Um, but, uh, you know, I went through a lot of the same struggles that other people did. I went to Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, and um, was close to some of the monks there. And, and then my sister actually served first as a net missionary here in, the, in Minnesota. Net is the national evangelization teams, and they do youth ministry all over the country. But they recruit young people to be missionaries for a year, and then they put on retreats for high school students around the country. And so my sister did that, and when I saw what she was doing, it really impacted me, and I decided I needed to grow even more in my faith. And that led to a process where I ended up actually in the summer after my sophomore year living in a summer household of formation with St. Paul's Outreach, which is a college ministry that's connected to net ministries. And um, I did that for two summers, and I really got good formation, and then I decided to do net myself. And so after my graduation from college, I served on a net team. The, the beautiful thing is my first diocese that I served in as a net missionary was Crookston. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, okay, okay. And so we did retreats all across the diocese from Barnesville to War Road, you know, and so I got to know the whole diocese in a month and oh. uh, had a lot of memories from that time. And then, uh, then after that, I decided to join this fraternity of priests in the archdiocese that was getting started called the Companions of Christ. And I ended up settling here, going to seminary here, and being ordained a priest here. Okay. Okay, tell us a little bit about the Companions. Yeah, so the Companions of Christ is a fraternity of diocesan priests. So we're diocesan priests like everybody else, except we ask the bishop for permission to live in community and to live according to a rule that we uh, helps us to live out the evangelical councils as diocesan priests. And so um, that was founded in 1992. And I think we're about 30 priests here in the Archdiocese. There's about 10 in Denver, and there's also, uh, I think, four in the Diocese of Joliet now, Illinois. So we've grown a little bit, and um, but in, in every place they're diocesan priests, but it's just a way to try to strengthen the spiritual life of diocesan priests by inviting them to live together and to embrace the rule of life. Yeah, how, how like, uh, you know, I'm interested just in that uh, aspect of of communal life um, and the support that the fraternity of priests uh, that uh, we see, because uh, I think it is a, a great strength. I think in some of the areas across, especially across our listening area, many priests are way out in rural areas and communities, mm-hmm. and they're they're out, they're out there on their own. I mean, with their people and with the Lord for sure. But the the role of priestly fraternity seems to be important. How has you've seen that? you know, fostered in the companions. Yeah, so we have a particular way of developing priestly fraternity through support groups and also through common life. I'm basically interested in anything that promotes priestly fraternity like you, you know, (laughs) Um, because I just realize 
um, it's just based in Christ's own model, right? When Christ called his apostles, he called them into a, a brotherhood. And they would, it wasn't always easy for them to be brothers. We see that they didn't always get along, even in the Gospels, right? <laughs> but um, but that was part of the spiritual growth, was we're part of this brotherhood together, and it's part of what it meant to be to follow Christ and to serve as one of his early apostles. So I, I think whatever we can do to draw together as priests, to develop friendships, to strengthen each other, and our own priestly commitments and living holiness, all that's a help, you know? Right, right. No, that's really beautiful. And, you know, you talk about the evangelical councils. I mean, I think that's always been near and dear to your heart. For a, for a diocesan priest, you spend a lot of time uh, diving into the evangelical councils, even in your own studies, if I remember when you were over in Rome. Um, how, do, how, how do those play out in, in because we associate the evangelical councils, right, um, with, right. The, with religious consecrated life. Um, yep. But you've mentioned it several times now <laughs> here in our <laughs> short uh, time together. Yep. Uh, yep. Could you, how, how, how do you see that playing out in the life of diocesan priests? Yep. I did write a book on that. Um, it's called uh, The Priest as Bridegroom, um, The Priesthood and the Evangelical Councils. And it's published by the Institute for Priestly Formation. Um, but it's basically about how diocesan priests are also called to embrace the councils. And really, of course, we everyone thinks of celibacy when they think of the priesthood, because sort of the most distinctive characteristic of a Catholic priest. But celibacy is a way to give my life, and that's only part of the gift. The other way I give my life is by submitting all that I own to the Lordship of Jesus, and also by submitting my will my, in obedience to His Lordship, you know. And really, the gift of celibacy makes more sense when it's part of this total self-gift. If the priest isn't living obedience, and at least in some ways, simplicity of life, he sort of looks like everybody else, and you know, he does what he wants, he has his own possessions, why, why doesn't he have his own wife, you know? Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. Um, but when people understand it's part of a total self-gift, like, no, I've, I've actually felt called to give my heart completely to God, and that means celibacy, absolutely but it also means obedience, and that has to be manifest in the, what, what I possess as well. All right. No, thank you for sharing that. It really is beautiful to integrate the evangelical, the gospel ways of, of poverty, chastity, yes. and obedience right into, I mean, I think every Christian's life, um, but also into yep. the, the shepherd's life as well. Well, we're going to take a break here on Real Presence Live. I'm Father Brian Christensen. I'm broadcasting from the Cathedral of Our Lady Perpetual Help in sunny Rapid City, South Dakota, at the heart of the Black Hills with my co-host. Karen Gibis. Yeah, Karen. We'll be back in a minute with uh, Bishop Andrew Cousins, the newly appointed Bishop of Crookston in Minnesota. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Do you know a priest who has made a difference in your life or at your parish? One who has helped you through a loss, discern an important decision, or celebrated the sacraments with you and your family? Real Presence Radio would like to know about these amazing priests. Visit our website at realpresenceradio.com contact to nominate your priest. And each week on Real Presence Live, we will recognize one of our priests with a dozen donuts generously donated by a local business. Help us honor our fathers by nominating your priest today. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio with a creative gift planning tip. 
Have interruptions impacted your charitable giving? If you feel like you have less to give this year or are waiting until you get through these recent challenges, we want to let you know about some creative gift options that won't cost you a dime this year. For example, you could designate Real Presence Radio as the beneficiary of all or percentage of your IRA or make RPR beneficiary of a percentage of your estate or specific asset. Make a bequest commitment gift this year without impacting your savings or investments. To learn more about the benefits of making a charitable bequest, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, Executive Director at Riverview Place Senior Living Community in Fargo. For over 35 years, we've been honored to nourish our residents in mind, body, and spirit. We offer a full calendar of activities, events, and faith-based programming, and the best food in town. Our independent and assisted living residents thrive in our warm, comfortable, and compassionate community. We'd love to meet you. Call Marin or Katie today at 701-237-4700 to line up a tour. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Hey, welcome back to Real Presence Live. I'm Karen Gibas along with Father Brian Christensen. We have a great show going on right now here from the Rapid City area, but on the phone right now, we have Bishop Andrew Cousins, newly appointed Bishop of Crookston. I have to say, I'm already a little jealous. Not that Bishop Peters isn't amazing in itself, but boy, Bishop Andrew, the the, the uh, Crookston Diocese is getting an amazing man as their shepherd. You're very kind. <laughs> I can say that. I can say that because it, it just sounds like you are just what that diocese needs right now. And what a beautiful uh, vocation story that you had shared with us. And thank you so much for, for just being willing to, to share your yes with, with all of us here on Real Presence Radio, but also, you know, with the Crookston Diocese. So I, I think that you and Father Brian have way more, like, obviously you know each other, so I'm just going to step out of this interview <laughs> and let you guys have the most amazing interview for the rest of the time here. <laughs> well, thank you, Karen. Thank you, Bishop, for being with us. Um, I was just wondering, your, your role uh, in the USCCB as an auxiliary bishop with the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, um, you've been engaged with uh, evangelization, and you've been part of this um, movement, uh, and which now has kind of solidified in a proposal or a plan moving forward for Eucharistic revival uh, here in the United States. And could you just kind of talk about the genesis of that and what it is and where we're going? Yes, so I'm the chair of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis, and that committee exists to serve the works of evangelization and catechesis in our country. And... um, even before I became chair, um, Bishop Barron, who was the previous chair, was already um, raising concerns about the crisis in Eucharistic faith in the country. Some of that was revealed in the Pew study in 2019, which seemed to represent that less than 30% of Catholics believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. 
Mm. If that's true, that's a huge crisis for us, and we're actually redoing that study right now to find out a little bit more of what's actually true there. But certainly there is a crisis in Eucharistic faith. No one would doubt that. And so Bishop Barron was already getting some bishops together, chairs of various committees, to talk about this before COVID hit. And then when COVID hit, and we experienced what we've all experienced, which is the need to keep distance and some people not being able to go to Mass, and that's just uh, dramatically increased the need for this Eucharistic revival. So by the time the bishops were able to look at this proposal last November, at the end of 2020, there was a lot of sense that this was providential. And we began working this spring, last spring, and uh, the beginning of this year, to put together a plan for a revival that will be launched in June of 2022. So next June, on the Feast of Corpus Christi, we'll launch this across the country. And it's going to be a three-year process because we want to have opportunity for deep reflection as a Church on the incredible gift and mystery that the Eucharist is in our lives. And so we're going to spend a year kind of doing diocesan initiatives. That could be, you know, events in various regions of the diocese where there's catechesis and adoration. That could be Eucharistic processions. It could be a diocesan Eucharistic congress. It could also be some national events that we connect virtually with dioceses, maybe for youth or young adults or groups of people. But the idea is to begin to train and motivate uh, the core, those those people we know who do love the Eucharist, uh, to invite them to become our missionaries of the Eucharist. Because really in the parish year, we want to reach the people who are liminally connected to the Church. You know, they say they're Catholic. They even come maybe on Christmas and Easter, or they send their kids to get the sacraments, but they don't really know Jesus in the Eucharist, because if they did, they'd be there every Sunday. Right. And so how do, how do we reach them? Well, I can't talk to them. They, don't, they won't talk to me. But they will talk to their neighbor who's committed, right? <laughs> right? And who can invite them to maybe a small group where they would study on the Eucharist or invite them to come to an adoration night in the parish where they could have an encounter with Jesus in the Eucharist. And so really encouraging at the parish level this kind of reach out to the Catholics who aren't who don't fully understand and doing really good catechesis. We've got formed.org helping us and they're gonna help us deliver really good catechesis for free across the country to every any parish that wants it, you know. Okay. And uh, and then the la- that will all culminate in a National Eucharistic Congress, which is going to be the summer of 2024. And uh, that we're just actually meeting today with the Bishop Advisory Group to decide what city, so I can't tell you. But <laughs> I was going to say, are they, is this we like the Olympics? The you got c- competing cities and stuff like <laughs> oh, that. It, and it so certainly we, is. We, have our we want it, or we definitely them. don't call us, Bishop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was thinking of going to Crookston, but... There you go. We have a stadium with a fit a hundred thousand people. A hundred thousand people. Yeah. <laughs> we could no, do it in a would... field in Kirkston, though. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, it sounds really, really exciting. So there's some kind of some build up moving towards next summer in June of Corpus Christi of 2022, and then kind of a, a process of diocesan, then um, parish wide, culminating in a, a national uh, celebration. Right. And then the goal really after that is that those people who come to that would become our missionaries of the Eucharist going forward, you know. Right. Frankly, you know, we used to do we used to do a national Eucharistic Congress about every ten years in this country. I'd love to see us return to that tradition. So try I'm just trying to get it started and then I'm gonna hand it to somebody else to carry it forward. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Um yeah, and I certainly with regard to, to the Eucharist we um 
it seems to me that there's two things going on. One, a deepening on, on the part of the, like the core of the church, if you will, who have a deep yep. love for the Eucharist. And, and in the midst of COVID, you know, we're crying out, you know, how can right. we get the Eucharist and how do we do that? Right. And then, um, then another part of, I guess, the body of Christ that kind of doesn't fully understand what's going on and to reach those, those people and draw them closer to the heart of Christ in the Eucharist is certainly, I, I, I love it. I'm excited for it. I know our priest talked about it with our bishop here in Rapid City last Friday um, and just are very, very excited about the, what's coming forward. So thank you for your work on that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's wonderful. And I think especially... You know, my experience is both young people, when you put them in front of Jesus in the Eucharist with the right kind of catechesis, the Lord really works, and He actually shows them that He's really there, you know? Yeah, and, no, uh, I, yeah. But also vocational discernment. I can't—even just last night I was talking to a Dominican brother who said, oh yeah, it was spending that time in adoration where I heard the Lord call me, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, over and over again, you know, uh, we've seen that— with various uh, life teen um, events, yep. um, you know, even with your net ministries, when they come to our parishes, we have an evening of adoration. We just had a, a confirmation retreat here in our parish. Um, we're talking seventh and eighth graders, and as I was visiting with them after their retreat, I was saying, "What was the best part of the retreat?" And they did all sorts of great games, and they're out in the black yep. hills running around. And, and they said, "No, I really love the time I spent in adoration." I said, "Okay, you don't have to tell me because I'm your pastor that adoration was your favorite time." I said, "No, it was really beautiful, and I finally quieted down and heard the Lord." I was like, "Okay, all right, yep. amen, yep. amen, praise, praise." Only God. Jesus can do that with a junior high kid. Only, only, only. That's so true. I know true. a lot of their parents don't understand. Like, yeah, if you have the small whispering sound of Jesus, you can capture their attention. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's shift a little bit. Just kind of what's on your horizons. Uh, um, yeah. As you look forward, you know, uh, I know just from my own experience as a pastor moving into a parish, like it's kind of a new start for you, but also mm-hmm. using the gifts and graces and insights that God has already given you. Um, as you as you look forward to becoming the Bishop of Crookston and 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 exercising your pastoral role there, what, what what kind of things are you are you looking forward to? You know, the main thing is just to first to get to know everybody. That's the real thing. You know, we are um, a community. We're the body of Christ, and I need to know who those people are, and so that we can together, you know, try to serve the mission the Lord has given us. So, and people, um, you know, it's been has been a difficult year in Crookston with the resignation of the previous bishop, and so I really want to spend just some time listening to people and finding out how what it's been like for them and try to help um, bring people together and when I can to help with healing, when I can to help with inspiration, um, to bring the light of Christ to the whole situation and uh, to invite people uh, to join together to go forward with the mission that Jesus has given us, which is to proclaim the good news in the in the in the northwestern counties of minnesota you know and so um uh at first it's going to be just getting to know people i i did tell the priest you know i'm in charge of this eucharistic revival so that's one of the things we're going to do ask other bishops to do it if i'm not doing it but right. um but uh it's going to be a lot of learning and um listening and trying to hear what's what's what are the needs as we um as we together invite the Lord to show us what He wants, you know? Yeah. I'm just so convinced of the Lord's goodness and power, and I know the Lord has great plans, so I just got to get out of the way 
and let him do that, you know. No, that's great. That's great. Um, one of our one of our uh, listeners just kind of sent us a, a message and wanted to know um, if you uh, know how to speak Spanish. Are you are you a Spanish speaker? Sí, puedo hablar español. No es un problema para mí. Gracias a Dios. I'm able ah. to speak Spanish, and I know we had a Spanish mass in Moorhead in the diocese, and also one every now and then in Crookston itself. So, looking forward to connecting with a lot of the. Latino speaking or Spanish speaking Catholics are Latinos up there in Crookston. No, beautiful, beautiful. What, uh, what kind of what for for all of our listeners, including this listener? <laughs> mm-hmm. how, how big is the Crookston diocese? Like, what are, what are we looking yeah, at as yeah. far as population 30, and territory? And yeah, there's about three hundred thousand people there. Thirty-two thousand of them are Catholics. Okay, um, we have uh, sixty parishes. We have 45 priests, 35 who are active, and we have um, 14 counties that cover 17,000 square miles. So okay. not quite as big as Rapid City, but it's not far behind. Well, you know, it's very comparable in numbers, yeah. you know, of population yep. and pre- active yep. priests. Um, yeah, the, the territory is a little larger out here in western South Dakota <laughs> than northwest yeah. Minnesota. But, yeah. but, yeah, no, very similar, very similar kind of demographics with regard to the— We do guess, have— we have the northernmost point in the continental United States there, you know, up in the northwest angle. So, Oh, wow. We post that. Wow. <laughs> uh, yeah. Is it, do we get record temperatures there, or do we? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure we do. I'm sure we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bishop, um, be assured of our prayers and the support uh, uh, of our listeners here at Real Presence Radio, the um, very committed uh, Catholic audience here that has... Uh, has the desire to support and encourage the church and certainly our, our bishops, and especially as you set out on this new challenging and, and, and exciting uh, role as, as chief shepherd for the Diocese of Crookston. As uh, Karen said earlier, they're very blessed to have a good, solid man, uh, a man who loves Christ, a man who loves the church, and a man who loves the Eucharist. And mm-hmm. I look forward to the, the charge that you and your brother bishops are leading for the church here in America in this Eucharistic revival. So thank you so much for being with us this morning. Morning. Thank you so much, and please do pray for me. I really ask the listeners to pray for me. Um, I believe that uh, prayer is the source of all good things. So, ask Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you, uh, Bishop. Thanks for being with us. And for our listeners here on Real Presence Radio, we'll be back after the break. Uh, we have uh, another amazing interview with uh, a priest here of the Diocese of Rapid City, Father Ed Venorni, who is now entering into, I think, his third round of retirement. Uh, so, But he's had a, an exciting, uh, dramatic, and wonderful life in Christ, and he continues to live that with great joy today. So be back after the break, and we'll be with Father Ed Venorni. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 